0: First Thessalonians chapter 2, last week just a couple of things to just kind of bring us uh, up to par on uh, what we talked about last week was that Thessalonica was a very important city. Uh, Anytime the gospel is going to a city it's important but this city was a seaport, uh, a trade center, so Not only things coming in and out of it, but the gospel message was easy to be able to uh, travel and to move from region to region, place to place. So Thessalonica uh, is a uh, important at that time, a very important city. So the Lord was using Paul uh, to start a church there. And he did start a church. But how many of you remember what happened to him? ran him out of town after about three or four weeks right Uh, so this was a baby church and uh, paul was concerned about it but he received word from timothy that the church was doing well so uh, praise the lord right Uh, and people were uh, still serving the lord and everything was going well Uh, we talked about timothy and Silvanus or Silas, who you've probably heard of, if you've ever read the story of Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail. Silvanus or Silas and Timothy were partners with Paul. They were together working Uh, this particular city, formed the church there. God was using it for his glory, as he always does. Amen. Let's read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. We're going to see that Paul is kind of defending his ministry. Uh, you can understand why Paul would feel like he might need to do that because, you know, he started the church and then three or four weeks later he's run out of town. How I many of those people talk, right? Uh, and so there were probably people saying that Paul was uh, fearful that he, you know, obviously there must, must be something wrong with Paul, Right? Uh, because uh, a good church wouldn't, you know, and people wouldn't run him out. But one of the churches that ran him out was the Jews, right? We see that in this first couple of verses. He's going to use the phrase, you know, or yourselves, you know, a couple of times just to prove to them that you know my character. You know what kind of person I am. You know the kind of work that I did while I was there. Uh, So he's somewhat defending his integrity and his ministry there. So, So it says this for you yourselves know brethren that our coming to you was not in vain. So you know that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi as you know there's the word again we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel. So you know we're bold to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Uh, if you look at that those two verses there, uh, they're, they're, they will answer those first couple of questions that I have in your handout there. For you yourselves know, Paul is defending his character, defending his ministry. I, I don't think that Paul was necessarily insecure But, you know, just due to the the things that happen, uh, he doesn't want the church to be discredited or his ministry to be discredited uh, because he had to depart quickly. uh, And he uh, wants to make sure that the gospel is looked upon, that it's good, right? And that there's not a problem with the gospel. Our coming to you was not in vain. So he's, again, he's telling them it was not in vain. Now, the word vain can mean that it didn't do anything, or it can mean like it's hollow or empty, uh, or it can be thought of as a character flaw. So the gospel did not come to you, our coming to you was not in vain. Uh, It wasn't something empty or hollow, but it was, Word of God right? How many knows the Word of God's not empty or hollow right? Uh, but it's it's full and it uh, as Kate just uh, said so eloquently, it will not return void. So anytime the gospel is taught or preached, talked about, shared, uh, the Bible says that it's not going to come back void but it's going to accomplish whatever God has decided to do with it now how many knows that sometimes when we share the word that people don't instantaneously immediately get changed and saved but there's a process uh, sometimes there's a seed planted sometimes the seed that's already been planted will be watered, and then sometimes fruit comes from that and salvation comes from uh, this sharing of the word uh, of god so uh, it, it's important that we continue to do it even when it feels like it is fruitless. It's never a bad thing to share the word of God with somebody, Even when they say, I don't want to hear it. Even when they say, I, well, I don't believe it that way. It's never in vain to share the word of God. How many have ever shared the word of God and walked away and thought, why did they even do that? Right, we we do sometimes, but I want you to know that it is not upon you for the results. The results not up to you. The results up to the Lord. Uh, in his in the great parable of the sower and the seed, he didn't say that the sower went out trying to pick the best ground, but he said some of the seed landed on the best ground, but some also landed on rocky and stony and thorny and thistly ground and wayside kind of ground and all of that, but it wasn't up to the sower. He was just supposed to sow, right? Uh, So I want to encourage you in that. uh, Keep talking, keep sharing, keep ministering as God has called you to do. Even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, so Paul is reminding them, uh, the Thessalonians, that he has indeed suffered for the ministry, and that he was only in the ministry for his own good. He would have stopped when he started getting beat, right? How I many would it, if he was only in it for your own good and, and you uh, experience resistance and beating and imprisonment and all this kind of stuff? when you stop, right? But you can't do that when you're serving the Lord because it's not just for your own good, right? It's for what God's called us to do. Let's look at Acts chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. You don't have to turn there, but it records for us that Paul, Silas was involved in this as well, suffered including public flogging, having his feet in stocks, and being confined in the city's inner prison, not just the prison, but the dungeon part of the prison, right? Paul definitely suffered uh, for the gospel. We were bold, he says, to speak to you the gospel, even whenever we had conflict. What does Acts 1-8 tell us? But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Is it power to walk up and slap people so they receive the gospel? No, it's power or boldness, you could even say, very similar to witness and to tell, not only to to give the gospel, We know, the gospel is effective, But when you combine the gospel with your own testimony of how God has changed your life, it becomes even more effective, right? Uh, So, it's important that we do that. Uh, So, Paul did struggle, did suffer for the kingdom. He's not complaining. He's saying it's a fact, right? All right, let's read verses 3 through 5. For our exhortation did not come from error. Or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetnesses, covetousness. God is witness. Paul saying. The message that we gave to you was a pure message. It didn't have any deceit, no lies in it. It was not unclean, and it did not have guile. In other words, it wasn't given uh, out of uh, spite. It wasn't given uh, because it was forced. It was given because uh, that was his heart to share uh, because of what God had done in his life. At that time, There were many competing religions uh, and most of them were uh, motivated by greed and gain. But Paul's saying that's not true for us. As we have been approved by God. Aren't you glad that we don't have to get the approval of men? It's God that gives us the approval. It's God that ordains us to do the work that we've been called to do it's God that equips us Uh, it's God that uh, gives us the I'm going to say skills abilities uh, to be able to do the work that he's called us to do I don't know that any of us are ever fully equipped when God calls us to do something because I I really do like this statement that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the call, right? Uh, I, I think there's some truth in that. That doesn't mean that we don't study. That doesn't mean that we don't do things to, to make ourselves ready and useful uh, for God to use. But uh, how many ever felt really like I'm totally qualified to do this work for the Lord. I don't see any hands being raised. right? Um, uh, because there is a measure of humbleness when we go to do something for the Lord that I think is good, right? Uh, because if, 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 I, if we stood up here or if we went out to do something for the Lord and we just knew we had it all together, right? That we're going to do it and we're going to do it with all of our might and our ability and we didn't even need God if we don't watch out, right? Uh, so there's a measure of humbleness uh, when we begin to look at what God's called us to do, and it's God that approves us, Paul goes on to say, even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. It really doesn't matter what other people really think about you. Now, I'm not saying go, on, go out and really make everybody mad, but who's your judge, right? It's the Lord, right? Uh, But I I think that we uh, need to strive, as the Bible says, to get along with people uh, and to not make people mad on purpose. But how many knows when you share the gospel, it is in nature confrontational. The gospel is. I mean, it's in your face. It says you're living wrong. You'll never be able to live right, no matter how hard you try. Isn't that the gospel? You can't make it on your own. You will never live up to what God has called you to be and how he's called you to be holy. That's pretty confrontational to people outside who don't know. I mean, can you imagine you tell somebody that? I'd be like, well, thanks for making me feel good today. But the gospel is not about pleasing people but about pleasing God. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's concerned about being uh, pleasing to God and it's God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. Paul saying that I didn't try to smooth talk. He wasn't trying to be a politician, <laughs> right? Uh, he wasn't uh, trying to just smoothly make it, no, the gospel is confrontational here, and Paul's saying, I'm not using flattering words, or I did not use flattering words, nor cloak for covetousness. What is covetousness? want what somebody else has. Another way of saying it is that we're self-seeking. It is the Greek word pleonexia which essentially means self-seeking of all types. Uh, It is a quest to bring self-satisfaction in anything or everything. So the Bible tells us that we're not to covet. And it gives some description, right? Have you read that? Now, I, I wouldn't covet some of these things because I'm not an Old Testament time frame, I don't want somebody's ox or somebody's donkey, and I certainly don't need the wife, and I don't, you know what I'm saying, Uh, but he tells us don't covet, it's to seek a self-seeking to bring pleasure and satisfaction to yourself, and Paul's saying, I didn't do this to satisfy myself, I didn't even bring flattering words, but I came to you uh, giving you the gospel message. Look at verses 6 and 7. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. In what kind of attitude did Paul come to The Thessalonians, gentle. He came uh, in a gentle. He he he's descriptive here, so gentle that it's like a nursing mother who cherishes her children. He he is favoring them. He is being so gentle because he doesn't want to offend, and he's not seeking. What does it say here? Not seeking glory. Because we could have made demands as apostles. Apostles were church planters, as we talked about last week. And as a church planter, he could have made demands of them. But it says he didn't. He was uh, treating them with respect, treating them with gentleness. He didn't seek glory from them. He didn't demand that they stand up and all hail Paul, the great apostle. That's not what he said. He didn't say, he, he didn't say I, didn't, I didn't demand that. wasn't demanding glory from men, uh, no fancy introductions. He came to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? Uh, so that's important. He didn't seek glory from men. Even though he could have. Paul came to give something. Not to demand something. And when we get a couple verses down. We'll see that Paul is saying. I didn't demand you to give me any money. I didn't demand you to support me. Matter of fact I work for myself. Now not every place that Paul went to did he do that. But several places he worked. How many of you know what Paul's trade was? Tent making, right? Uh, he could support himself if it was necessary and if it was, in his mind and to the Lord, good for that particular group of people, right? Now, he's not saying it's wrong to do that. He's not saying it's right to do what he did. He's just simply saying, when I was with you, I did not demand this, right? But he was gentle among them, and he wanted them to remember his gentle character. All right, let's look at verses 8 and 9. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. For laboring night and day. That we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you. The gospel of God. Paul said. He's laboring night and day. Probably daytime making. uh, Tents. Probably nighttime preaching the word. Or maybe the opposite. We don't know. Probably first. Right. So he's saying that. uh, we're And we were pleased to do that. It wasn't. Too much for the Lord to ask for him. They were pleased to uh, be able to serve the Lord and to serve them because they (laughs) had become dear to him. Now that's a heart of an apostle. That's a heart of a pastor. I have said several times, I don't have to preach. I get to preach. right? I don't have to pastor. I get to pastor. I don't have to teach. I get to teach. And there's a difference, right? It is pleasing. Paul saying, uh, I'm pleased to be able to do that. Uh, to give something of myself. Why? Because Paul recognized all that the Lord had done for him. Isn't that key? I think that's key. When we serve the Lord, let me put it this way. I I didn't go into kingdom ministry as a choice because I would make more money. That was not the case. And I'm not even complaining about that. I knew about that, right? I figured that was the case. But I did it because I was thankful for what the Lord has done for me and thankful that I could give back to the kingdom of God, right? Uh, and and I think that's important for us all. If you look at what you benefit from working for the Lord from a materialistic standpoint, you might be convinced that you shouldn't do it. But how many knows that God rewards are greater than material? Amen. I've heard somebody say, "The pay's not much, but the but the benefits are great." Right? The retirement is awesome. Right? We get to retire uh, into heaven. Right? When we serve the Lord. Here, that's what Paul's saying. We've, we've given of ourselves. We've given of our lives. We've served the Lord. Paul's saying you should remember that we have done that. Not in order to seek glory, but in order to magnify the gospel. Because there would have been nothing worse than the gospel being discredited because of Things that happened, or because Paul getting run out of town and all that, so he doesn't want that to happen. Verses ten through twelve. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted, comforted, and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Wow, Paul uses a lot of loving terminology here. First, he says, how gentle we were as a nursing mother. Now he's saying, we exhorted and comforted you as a father does his own children. Those are some pretty deep, emotional feelings that Paul has for this group of people. If you don't love people, you need to get out of ministry yesterday. That, that is truth, right? If you don't love people, uh, you're going to fail in ministry because ministry is about ministering and serving people, right? Uh, and so Paul says, we did this as a father does his own children. We exhorted you, we comforted you, and we charged every one of you. Charged them that they would walk worthy of God. That's what good ministers They exhort. What does exhort mean? Teach, to preach. It has an encouragement uh, modus behind it as well. So it's like to exhort means to encourage with the word, right? To uh, lift people up, to cause them to to grow. So exhort and comfort. We know that sometimes people need to be comforted. They need to be comforted whenever they have a loss in their life. They need to be comforted whenever uh, a family member dies. They need to be comforted whenever uh, there are financial issues and health issues. So it's important that we as ministers, not just me, but we as ministers are doing these things. And charging every one of you to walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom of glory. It'd be real easy to leave out the last one. Let me say this because it's it's easy and wonderful to exhort and try to encourage people. It seems to come fairly naturally to uh, comfort people but charging people is not the easiest thing to do. In other words, to hold people accountable for their relationship with God, and that's what pastors and ministers and apostles hear. What Paul's saying. How many have heard me say this uh, in, in a sermon? I love you enough to what to tell you this, right? Uh, because sometimes, as a pastor or as a minister you as in talking with other people if the lord leads to step on people's toes that's important because we can't just love them all up and encourage them but when they're, they're doing wrong don't say nothing to them we are to charge others charge one another you're witnesses and God, uh, and God also of how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you. Paul's saying, we didn't act crazy. We acted like we ought to act like his ministers. We exhorted, comforted, charged you. Acted justly and blamelessly, including telling you how to walk worthy of God. All right, let's look at verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it. It's important. We should welcome the word, not as the word of men, but as it is as it is in truth, the word of God. So you welcomed it as the word of God. The people didn't just say, well, that's just Paul talking. Right? It is to say, well, here goes Paul on another tangent. No, they welcome the word of God, the word of Paul, as if it were the word of God. That's the way we need to receive the word. Do you welcome the word? <laughs> Do you welcome the word when you read it and it steps on your toes? Do you welcome the word when it's preached and it's stepped on your toes? Do you welcome the word when the Holy Spirit Spirit brings a word to your mind and says, well, you're not acting like this? All those things can happen, right? If we treasure the word and understand it really is the word, and we receive it as the word, then it's going to change us and keep us on our toes. The word works, which work, effectively works in you who believe. Do you believe the word works? Yeah, right? If you didn't, why would you read it? Why would you listen to it? Why would you study it? Why would you hear it preached if you didn't think it worked? Right? The word of God has what in the Greek is called dunamis power. Sometimes we, uh, in Pentecostal realms, we like to say, that's dynamite kind of power. But Who knows that dynamite sometimes destroys things. I'm not sure that's the best definition when we look at it here. But it's power to change. That's more important than exploding something, isn't it? So here is this dunamis power of God in his word to change our lives. That's important. Sometimes we try to change our lives ourselves. By just doing better. That's hard. <laughs> or doing something differently. Yes. But the word has power in it. To change us. The spirit of God. Has that power. To deal with us and to change us. You know the salvation. Simple, almost, you can almost define salvation. As a change of mind. Because it means. To do an about face. If I was preaching, I'd walk towards that door and just quickly turn, right? Because that's what it means. I'm decided to go this way, and then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me, and the Word of God, because the Spirit works with the Word, and He changes our minds, Uh, right? The Spirit changes, and the Word of God changes our minds. Let's read verses 14 through 16. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us, and they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost so here Paul is complimenting the Thessalonians he's saying you became imitators of the churches and like the churches that are in Judea but they became imitators of them and that they suffered wow are we to suffer? The answer is yes. It doesn't sound pleasing. It doesn't sound fun. It's not something you hear too many people preach about. But God did call us to suffer for the kingdom and to advance the kingdom. Uh, one of the things that's rarely talked about, did you know that the disciples were excited to suffer For Jesus, once they realized who Jesus was and that he had died for them and that, you know, they were serving him, uh, they were so excited to be able to suffer for the king. I'm not saying they were standing up saying, you know, uh, cut my head off or do this or do that, but it was an honor or a privilege to suffer for the kingdom. Right? Almost all of the apostles, the original 12, died a martyr's death. All but John. And they tried to martyr John. But he just wouldn't die. But he did suffer, right? Um, They they tried to boil the man in oil. And he didn't die. They put him on an island. That was meant for criminals. And he still didn't die. He was still serving the Lord. You suffered the same things as other churches. You became imitators of those who had suffered before. Suffering the same things, he says. What is the Greek word for church? let that, that is correct. That simply means "set one. Well, it means uh, it, it's a Greek word for church or gathering. Uh, so, now look at this. Paul's saying that They killed the Lord and their own prophets. Now, he's talking about people from Judea as well as Gentiles. So who is he saying killed the Lord? His own countrymen? The Gentiles as well, right? He's saying uh, that the Judeans and the Romans killed the Lord. They represent the Jew and the Gentile. So they they killed the Lord. They were responsible for his murder. Why is it necessary to understand that it wasn't just the Jews that killed Jesus? Because he died for all. And all, symbolically and typology-wise, killed him. We've all heard it said that we, with our own sin, nailed him to the cross, right? So it's important that we understand that it was not just the Jews that killed him. Now, it was pretty grievous that they did because that was his own people, right? But the Gentiles are also responsible for that. Now, hear this. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. The Jews did not want people to tell Gentiles about Jesus. That's pretty sad, isn't it? But that's what this says, right? That is pretty, yes, self-seeking for sure, right? Uh, because the Jews, and rightfully so, God called them as chosen people his children uh, and they know they have a special place in God's kingdom but God never said he was going to leave out the Gentiles ever in his word matter of fact you can go back to the Old Testament and see that God said he had a plan that would save all the world What did he tell Abraham? Through you, all the Jews would be saved. All the world, all the nations, right? Uh, So it was never God's plan that just the Jews be saved. It was really a misconception and maybe a little bit of self-conceit that God was only about the Jews. But the Jews had a special place. You see, what God wanted to do was do something special through the Jews and to save them so that they would be the example for the whole world. But they rejected him. Right? And God turned to the Gentiles at that point. He still saves the Jews, right? But he turned at that point to the Gentiles. So uh, it's um, important that we understand that God had a full plan to save mankind. Don't ever forget that verses 17 through 20. But we, brethren, having having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. So, in other words, Paul saying they had to leave for a little while because they ran me out of town. Uh, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. They they wanted to come to you. But something hindered them. Even I and Paul, time and again, but who hindered Satan. Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory, and joy. Paul saying, hey, it's going to be glorious and joy filled whenever you are able to appear in the presence of God uh, and that we have played a part in it. And that, um, can I tell you, that still amazes me that God allows us to play a part in the salvation of any. I don't mean we saved them, I'm saying that we have planted a seed, we have said something, we have watered something, we have somehow, God chose to use me But a big question mark after it, right? What What? What? a glorious thing, what a joyful thing. Can I tell you that bringing somebody to the point of salvation and them receiving Christ, there's nothing like it. There really isn't. There's nothing more amazing. Nothing will give you more joy. Nothing will satisfy you uh, any more than being a part. Didn't even have to be a big part, but a part of somebody coming to know Jesus as their Savior. I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, and we can say, yes, I, you know, I, I've been a little. I, I didn't have to be a big part, but I was a part of somebody. Coming to know Jesus, right? Uh, And and, and it's important, it's satisfying it uh, in in its glory and joy, Paul says, to be able to be a part of that. Satan hindered, but God brought the victory. Amen. Amen. Because Paul did eventually return to Thessalonica. to other churches in the area Acts 20 verses 1 through 5 which we're not going to read talk about that so God allowed Paul to be able to come back to that church that he planted and to see them and to see how they were doing didn't God get it amen Uh, and so he's able to uh, to do that and to, to, to be a part of it imagine when Paul gets to heaven and we all join there, and he is able to see those that he's played a part in them coming to Christ. That's going to be amazing for him, right? I think it will be amazing for us. I believe that might be a part of the jewels that are in our crown when we get to heaven, but we didn't really do anything except pointing to Jesus, so we're going to take... Uh, right. We're obedient, yes. We'll take that crown and cast it before the Lord. You see, God is a, an amazing orchestrator. He really is. And he puts us in places to do sometimes what seems like little things... And he orchestrates it all. And I might have done this, and you might have done that, and somebody else might have been a part of this over here. But all of it, God orchestrates, and it is his desire, his plan, his ultimate goal, that all would be saved. We know that all won't be saved, but he's constantly orchestrating things. And if we're obedient, we're a part of that part of it right that's pretty amazing it really is uh, so don't ever say I haven't done anything for the Lord because you don't know and I believe when you get to heaven you might find out you did a lot more than you thought just because you were obedient to the little things he was faithful with the little will be given more right all right Question one, according to verse one, what did the Thessalonian Christians know? Their coming was not in vain. Question two from verse two, what else did the Thessalonian Christians know? That they were bold to speak the gospel, correct? And what different ways did Paul suffer for the gospel? Shamefully treated, beaten, imprisoned, feed in stocks, put in the inner prison, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, defined covetousness, self-seeking. Question five. How was Paul's team not a burden to the Thessalonians? labor night and day. They work to support themselves is one way we can say it. Question six. How did Paul describe their gentleness toward the Thessalonians? The nursing mother cherishes her own children. Question seven. According to verse 11, how did Paul's team exhort and comfort the Thessalonians? As a father... As his own children. Question 8, according to verse 13, how did the Thessalonians receive the Word of God? Welcomed it as the Word of God or as the truth? Question 9, who killed the Lord Jesus? Jews and Gentiles. Question 10, who kept Paul from seeing the Thessalonians, according to verse 18? Satan